Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Sound Prince for the week of January 29, 2017. The first announcement this week comes from Sharon Lovering. It was posted on the ACB leadership list on January 19. And it's from the IRS. IRS Services for People with Disabilities. Hundreds of accessible federal tax forms and publications are available for download from the IRS Accessibility web pages. Visit irs.gov and select the Forms and Pubs tab to access the Accessible Forms and Pubs link. You can choose from large print, text, accessible PDF, eBraille, or HTML formats that are compatible when used with screen readers and refreshable Braille displays. The IRS also provides videos in American Sign Language with the latest tax information and has a dedicated ASL YouTube channel that houses the videos. IRS tax return preparation help is also available. People who are unable to complete their tax returns because of a physical disability or are age 60 or older may get assistance through the IRS Volunteer Income Tax Assistance, VITA, or Tax Counseling for the Elderly, TCE, programs. You can find a nearby VITA or TCE location by using the available locator tools or calling 800 906 9887. Publication 907, Tax Highlights for Persons with Disabilities, explains the tax implications of certain disability benefits and other issues and is available at www.irs.gov. Our next announcement comes from the ACBL list and was posted by Nancy Lynn. It is an article about a new phone scam, and we're carrying this in addition to the information on page 2 because it is very timely. Beware of the new Can You Hear Me phone scam in Pennsylvania and in other states. The new scam involves recording an affirmative response so it can later be used to authorize credit card charges. Authorities are warning of a new phone scam which has targeted residents in Pennsylvania, Virginia, and other states. It's called the Can You Hear Me scam, and the main goal of the scammer is to get an audio recording of you saying yes so they can authorize charges on a credit card. According to a report by CBS News, the latest scam has occurred in Pennsylvania and Virginia. Here's how it works, according to the CBS report. A scammer calls a victim and says, Can you hear me? Hoping that you will respond, Yes. That affirmative response is then recorded. 
The scammer may have collected personal information about the victim already to allow them to access credit card or other utilities as a result of a data breach. When the victim disputes the charge, the scammer then uses that audio recording to prove consent of the unwanted charges on a credit card or other bill. So what should you do if you think you may have already been a victim of the scam? Review all your statements and, if you notice unfamiliar charges, call the company to dispute. And finally, if you are an AI Squared customer using Window Eyes or Zoom Text, you probably have already received the alert from them, but in case you haven't, here's the announcement. On behalf of the VFO Group, Critical update for Zoom Text and Window Eyes. Dear customers, you should have received a notification from AI Squared making you aware that due to a digital certificate issue, the current versions of Zoom Text and Window Eyes applications will need to be updated in order to work after January 26. Any copies of these applications that have not been updated may no longer run after January 26, 2017. Information about this issue, affected products, and links for download updates that fix these problems are now available at www.aisquared.com slash certificate fix. To assist with the update, please call AI Squared Tech Support at 727-803-8600. And follow the prompts. Please listen carefully as the options have changed on the tech support line. Thank you for your patience and concern while we deal with the digital certificate issue. It seems as if there's always a new scam coming along to try to separate you from your money and your identity. Hear about the top 10 scams of 2016 on page 2. On page 3, you'll visit with author Lynn Raimondo, this interview was originally aired on June 26, 2017 on Soundprints, and we've included some additional information about the Library Users of America and its chapters. On page 4, get cooking with the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind. Hear about our first crockpot cooking lesson at the January 27, 2017 GLCB Roundabout and get some quick and easy recipes as well. And on page 5 is the Soundprints calendar. Page 2. It seems there's always a new scam just popping up to get you to share your personal information with some crook out there trying to steal your identity. We're going to bring you some information about scams on this page as we know that sometimes they just sound so realistic you're not sure if it's really a scam or not. This article is from ReportScam.com. It's the top 10 Worst Scams of 2016 Over 100 million U.S. residents had their personal information stolen in 2016 from various U.S. retailers and banks. Hackers and scam artists may use your personal information, trying to obtain credit cards, fake mortgages, cash advances, and other types of loans. Here are the top 10 scams targeting consumers around the world. Number 1. Remote PC Repair Scams 
This scam originates out of India, as victims are contacted by a phone call from scam artists claiming to be a representative of a high-tech computer firm. The call is a warning to the victim that their computer has been infected or could be under a threat of being infected by a vicious malware virus that will severely damage their internal operating system. The alleged representative encourages the victim to go online and allow them to troubleshoot the computer. This will help to fix all of the related issues immediately. The representative will use this time to infect the computer with a malware virus that will do severe damage to the internal operating system and force the owner to go to a third-party website to confirm the damage. The goal of this scam is to force the computer owner to immediately pay for unnecessary repair work over the phone by using a credit card. First, never give anyone remote access to your computer, as you should hire a local repair service whenever possible. It's rare that a PC representative would call a computer user to alert them to a virus threat. Unfortunately, too many individuals have fallen for this scam and often report their personal identity has been stolen soon after the phone encounter. Number two, fake counterfeit scam. Today's internet world has brought a number of online stores to the forefront as they cater to all particular needs. Often, it's too difficult to determine which sites are legit or a threat to steal your personal information. Many of these unreliable online stores are known to originate out of China as they mimic actual websites that sell name brands. The attraction is selling popular items, which are counterfeit, at a reduced price to a very willing clientele. The goal is to get them to make impulse purchases and provide their personal information that can be sold on the black market. In some cases, identity thieves will send their counterfeit products via the mail to unsuspecting victims to keep them clueless that their identity has been taken away from them. Too often, large corporations are the first to discover these fake online stores and take immediate action to have them shut down. If you need to verify the authenticity of a website, then contact one of the brands that you're interested to purchase by using the information provided on their contact page. 3. Fraudulent slash fake check scam. One of the more popular scams currently taking place as scam artists are convincing unknowing victims to accept a fraudulent check in exchange for cash. They send out an elaborate email detailing how they're having troubles cashing a check and would anyone be kind enough to help them gain immediate cash into the hands. Whoever responds to their request will receive an added bonus for their troubles. The endorsed check bounces, and the victims are left with no money in their bank account. Number 4. Pets for Sale Scam A pet for sale scam involves scammers creating a fake website that offers pet adoption or providing individuals an opportunity to make a donation to a fictitious animal nursery. 
The website showcases a wide variety of animals that can be adopted at significantly lower than market price. Victims are required to only pay for the insurance and other fees associated with shipping their new pet to their home. The only form of payment accepted is a MoneyGram, Western Union, or a non-returning money transfer to an overseas bank account. Try to avoid paying for a pet by transferring money into another person's bank account. ScamGuard can assist with securing information of reliable animal breeders in your area. 5. Grant Scam This scheme involves scam artists purchasing legitimate consumer information from the top corporations in our country. As these businesses are led to believe, this inquiry is an opportunity to offer some form of financial assistance to customers who have severe debt issues. These scam artists pose as government officials that are offering a unique opportunity to gain grant money for a processing fee. The goal is to get the victims to give up their immediate savings for an opportunity to gain that last big payday. Plus, after completing the scam, the personal information gained will be sold to the highest bidder on the black market. 6. Collection Agency Scam Scam artists are well aware that collection agencies have the right to contact individuals who are behind in their monthly bills. They represent themselves as a representative of a fictitious collection agency that is threatening a lawsuit unless the victim settles their current debt issue. Some scam artists support their claims with actual information about the person's bad credit history. This type of scam can go on for a long period of time, as the phone call harassment will continue until the victim breaks down and makes a payment over the phone. A few months later, the same vicious cycle begins again to acquire more money from a helpless victim. Number 7. House or Vacation Property Rental Scam The collapse of the housing market have made Prospective owners opt toward renting a home and vacation properties. Scam artists have made this trend their new targets as they advertise fictitious properties for rent. They attract victims with attractive pictures and detailed information of the property. The suggested rental price will be well below the current market as scam artists will only converse with prospective renters via VOIP phone number that's located in a foreign country. After an agreement is in place, the first month's rental payment must be made through a money transfer process. Number 8. Payday Loan Scam Scam artists love prying on victims at their utmost vulnerable moment. Usually during difficult financial times, victims resort to taking out a high-interest loan. Scam artists use this situation by creating a website that entices desperate individuals to apply for a loan to clear the debt away. Representatives from these fake websites call victims to tell them they have qualified for a low-interest loan, but to gain immediate access to the money, the victim must pay a security fee. This payment entails 
verifying if the individual has the income necessary to repay the loan. Other variations of this scam include requesting for bank account information to set up a direct deposit of the loan money. In the end, the loan never follows through as the victim is out of the fee payment and still in debt. Number 9. Timeshare Resale Scam Timeshare property has been a part of the biggest scams for decades, as the thought of sharing an ideal vacation resort property at a reduced cost. The scam preys on the myth to unload the property for a large profit. First, the timeshare owner must pay an upfront fee that includes an updated property appraisal, closing, and broker's fee. To protect yourself, Read the contracts closely because the wording can be confusing, yet still binding if you put your signature on the dotted line. And number 10, working from home scam. Every person's dream is working from home on an everyday basis. After all, it's a dream to avoid the stresses of commuting back and forth from our homes to the workplace. This scam centers around setting up a fictitious website that offers work-at-home position within the International Shipping Department. The victim goes through the interview process on instant messenger and or email correspondence. Once hired, the company begins to send packages to the new employee's home with explicit instructions on how to inspect the product before shipping it elsewhere. Soon after, communication between the company and employee ceases, as they receive a fictitious paycheck that's greater than time worked. Finally, the employee is able to get in contact with their employer about the overpayment in their paycheck. The company confirms the mistake and tells the employee to send the difference back before depositing the check. Unfortunately, the victim will receive notice that the paycheck has bounced with no recourse to recover the money from their vanished employer. Page 3. Tri-State Library Users is the chapter of both the Kentucky Council of the Blind and the Library Users of America. TOU sponsors at least five high-interest conference call programs each year, and people from across the United States are invited to attend. TOU's June 2017 call featured Lynn Ramondo, author of the Mark Angelotti crime series. The following excerpts from that call first appeared on Soundprints on June 26, 2017. This is Bill Wright. I'm calling this meeting to order. Um... I'm uh, president of Tri-State Library Users. I would uh, like to thank uh, Sue Ellen for setting up uh, the call tonight. And she's past president, and we'll turn it over to her and let her introduce these people. I am Sue Ellen Nilo. I'm also in uh, Louisville. And as Bill Wright said, I'm past president of Tri-State Library Users. And... Tonight, um, I am very pleased to introduce um, author Lynn Ramondo. She has written the, um, the book series involving Mark Angelotti, um, 
a, one of the best written blind fictional characters I have seen in a long time. So I invited her to come and talk to us about um, about her books. And, and, I, and, and this is Lynn, and I couldn't be more pleased to be here. Thank you, Sue Ellen, and the group for inviting me. It's a great opportunity. Um, we authors love to talk about our books, um, and uh, I'm open to any and all questions that you may have. Well, I, I'm anticipating that the, the number one question is going to be, why did, you, why did you write about a blind character? So maybe I should address that first, and, and then we can launch off from there. Does, does that sound good? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, um, it's, it, 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 it's a mildly complicated um, story, but, it, but the, the short answer is I kind of backed into it. Um, I, uh, I'm a lawyer by background. Um, I did trial law for um, 25 years in, in various roles, almost all of it defense work. Um, and um, I started writing um, after I had uh, left a... Uh, a job for the state of Illinois and, and was taking a brief sabbatical and kind of needed something um, besides my, my three kids to keep me busy. And uh, when I sat down, I, I always read mysteries and crime novels. It's my thing. And so there's never any question in my mind that that's what I wanted uh, to write. Um, and I also um, wanted to use my background as a lawyer in some way. Uh, but um, I didn't really want to write about a lawyer protagonist, um, in, in part because um, uh, I, I was worried about it being kind of too thinly veiled autobiography, and um, um, and also, you know, let's face it, there are a lot of really spectacular legal thrillers out there. It's a crowded field, and I and I wasn't quite sure how I would distinguish myself either with readers or with um, the New York publishing business if I just wrote another legal thriller. So I was fishing around for sort of an angle, and around that time, um, I was called myself to testify in a big civil case in federal district court in, in Chicago, and I spent two days uh, on the stand, which was a real eye-opener for me. I'd never uh, been a witness before, and um, it, it was a strange experience for me, having the, the tables turned instead of being the questioner, being the questioned uh, person, and I was imagining what it would feel like for somebody um, not a lawyer to be in that situation um, for the first time, and that's when I I got the idea. Of, well, what what if I write a series about somebody who becomes a Trevino has arrived and sort of inadvertently um, an ex uh, a witness in a major case, and, and maybe I can have him be really um, good at this um, and um, good at being a, a witness. Um, or, or she could have been a witness, but I think I had in my mind at that point it would be a male protagonist. Um, and what if, you know, this, my first book would be kind of their introduction to the legal system, and they discover, wow, they're pretty decent at testifying. And in, in, as, as the series continued, I would have this person um, be, a, be a hired expert witness in a number of cases. Mm -hmm. um, that led to the question, well, what sort of... Um, professional background should this person have and that was fairly a fairly easy jump because a lot of the really um, to me and I think to a lot of people the most interesting issues in criminal law relate to responsibility um, when are people either because of um, um, you know a, a, a mental or, or, or other uh, disability truly really responsible for 
um, the acts that they commit. Um, and I thought there could be a lot of, you know, great ways to, to, to parlay those issues into a series that would also involve um, murders, as most mystery series uh, need to do. Um, so, um, having settled on the idea of a psychiatrist who, who, would, who would become an expert witness in this series, um, I was then set out to think about, well, what complicates his life? Because, you know, in, in the modern mystery series, um, we sort of need characters with, with complications. Um, you know, maybe they have uh, an ugly divorce in their background, or they have a, an alcoholism problem, or this or that is the other thing. But it, you know, it just humanizes the, the protagonist for the reader. And so I wanted my character to have um, a problem, and maybe a couple of big problems. Um, and um, I started thinking about, well, what's the what's the thing that could, let's say you're a psychiatrist, what's the thing that would, 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 would basically bother you the most? Well, maybe it would be thinking that you yourself might be um, mentally ill. So I started thinking about that, and I came up with the idea of, let's, let's have a psychiatrist who's done something in his past um, that he justifiably feels um, tremendous remorse for guilt, remorse, and what if in the present day he comes down with um, an illness of some sort that um, at least leads him to believe that um, it might be psychosomatic? Believe or hope, because he's not sure what he wants the outcome to be. And I thought that would be kind of a cool subplot. Um, so then I needed the illness. And um, so I started looking at things um, that um, occur suddenly because most psychosomatic illnesses kind of appear out of the blue um, that might affect, like, part of your body, but not the, not other parts of your body. Um, and I, you know, I was sort of, like, following kind of like the classic train of psychosomatic illnesses, which typically, um, I mean, the, the two most common ones back in the, the Freud era were, you know, you suddenly become paralyzed on one half of your body or you suddenly lose the sight in one eye. Um, so I started researching um, uh, illnesses, and I know this sounds like maybe a little bit weird, but this is what authors do. I was looking for, like, um, you know, the illness that would, would work in this context for me, and I, and, and I happened to cross uh, the illness that they ultimately um, uh, gave to my protagonist, which is um, Labor's Hereditary Optic Neuropathy. I don't know if any of you are familiar with LHON. Um, but it's a disease that is caused by a genetic defect, um, which I liked for a lot of novelistic reasons. Um, and it um, uh, tends to strike men um, anywhere from their 20s to their 60s, uh, more often when they're younger, but can kind of happen to you at any point in life. Um, happens to women too, um, but more often men. And um, the way it presents is typically just like one day you wake up and you can't see out of one eye. You have a very big sort of a, uh, I, I can't, I'm, I'm losing the right term, but basically the whole middle of your, your sight, one eye is hazy. And um, typically that's followed um, days, weeks, months, um, but usually almost inevitably uh, by the same loss of sight in the other eye. And um, so I thought that could be kind of dramatic to the story, um, so I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with this 
I mean, it's sort of like, again, it's a little bit weird to say I'm happy finding this terrible illness I can satisfy, you know, saddle my hero with, but I thought it could be very interesting. The big stumbling point at that point for me was, wow, um, can I actually write about a blind protagonist? Um, I, have, I had no familiarity, personal familiarity with blindness, no family members, um, or anything like that. And um, I thought, wow, I'm not sure I can really um, do this, um, and, and do it fairly, um, because I'm very big on you know, realism, or, or a lot of realism in, in fiction. I don't like to read read books where something that I know to be untrue is portrayed as though it is true. So I gradually I started researching, um, reading autobiographies, um, looking on the web. Um, I read a lot of stuff on the NFB website. I think I read every one of their kernel books. Um, and I started imagining this person and writing um, journal entries in Mark's voice. Um, writing journal entries is a fairly typical way that authors develop a character in their head, and gradually that's how, how Mark um, uh, came to be. Some, I think some readers who, who, who buy into a lot of um, stereotypes about persons with um, disabilities um, have found him to be um, a little bit bitter and um, sarcastic, especially in the first book. Um, I have encountered um, reviews on uh, Goodreads where people say, well, you know, this guy's really not nice. I know. You know, I, I, that was partially me thinking that when when a life event happens to, to you like this in your um, late 40s um, and it changes your whole world, um, you probably start off a little bit angry. Um, and so I made him angry. Um, but he's not just angry about his sudden loss of vision. He's also angry at himself um, for, and I don't want to include too many spoilers in my talk, but he's also very angry at himself um, for something he did, which many people would consider fairly reprehensible. Um, and, um, and so he's struggling with, with, with two things, um, loss of sight, um, the suspicion, Flash hope that the loss of sight might not actually be real. Um, the parallel fear that if it's not real, then he's going nuts. Um, and 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 last, this you know um, this this horrible guilt. Um, and then he finds himself. This is a guy who does not like to be uh, wrong. He prides himself on being really smart and able. Um, and I wanted to give him a further complication. Um, because it's sometimes said that the best fiction is one in which you just torture the hell out of your characters. Um, the further complication was um, um, that he likes to be right, and I put him in a situation where he thinks he's right, and it turns out, or at least to all appearances, it turns out that he was um, very, very wrong. Um, and to, to write that wrong, he has to, um, in a way, kind of redeem himself um, both professionally um, and as a kind of a sideline um, personally. So that's, I'm sorry, that's a really long speech. I'll shut up now. <laughs> well, thank you. I really appreciate this offer. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you. Membership in the Library Users of America is open to all and is $12 a year. Life memberships are also available. 
Lua has chapters in Texas, California, and Kentucky, and you're encouraged to join through the chapters if you live in one of those states. As you can see from the Lynn Ramondo segment, the chapters have their own activities and may have chapter dues as well. In California, contact Judy Wilkinson at 510-357-1844. In Texas, you'll want to get in contact with Michael or Peggy Garrett at 281-438-9665. And in Kentucky, you can call the Kentucky Council of the Blind at 502-895-4598. Listeners in all other states can contact Adam Rushville, Lua Treasurer, at 502-897-1472, or Brian Charlson, Lua President, at 617-926-9198. Dues can be paid by making a check payable to Lua and mailing to Adam Rushville, R-U-S-C-H-I-V-A-L, Treasurer, Library Users of America, 148 Vernon Avenue, Louisville, Kentucky, 40206. Pay dues online through PayPal at www.paypal.com by sending money to lua.payments, L-U-A dot P-A-Y-M-E-N-T-S at gmail.com. Page 4. We've begun a new series of activities at Roundabout, basically by request from a number of individuals who have been coming. The first couple of them had to do with uh, activities that didn't require any cooking, but that made something good to eat. And you're going to hear those recipes and hear a little bit more about them at the end of this segment. But our first activity that had to do with cooking, and this was in a crock pot, happened this last Friday evening, January 27. And Patty Cox, who kind of does a lot of the cooking and so on each week and fixes up good food for us, was the leader of this project. And uh, some others helped with it too, Deb Lewis and uh, Elizabeth Strickland. And um, we had several participants. So Patty is with us on the phone. Welcome, Patty. Hello. And Patty is going to tell us what we did this past Friday and basically tell us about the recipe and how it was made. And it sure turned out to be a yummy dessert, Patty. So so tell us tell us what happened. Um Friday night we made a dump cake. And um we had a couple of people that are afraid of heat, afraid of plugging in something, um and just not knowing how to even cut butter, how you cut a stick of butter into pats of butter. And so um, I had them come in, and um, we went through the whole process of washing our hands and then coming over, and um, these cans um, did not require a can opener. So um, you use two cans of pie filling. And you put those down in a crock pot. And the best crock pot for that this recipe is um, like a four-course. Okay. Um, you don't want anything too big. Um, it, it doesn't make the cake rise up good. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started out with them um, opening a can each. Um, we had two people working on one. 
And so each person got to open the can. They used a knife to go around the inside of the can to get all of the pie filling out. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and what kind can, of pie filling did you use? Well, you can use any kind of pie filling. But okay. um, for the first one, we used apple pie filling. Okay. And, and you put the two um, cans of pie filling in, and then what went in? Then we poured a cake mix over it. Mm-hmm. And I had each one of them pour uh, part of the cake mix mm-hmm. in, and I cut the corner off because we didn't have any um regular kitchen scissors we just had a small pair of scissors and I just cut the corner and let it make like a spout for them to pour in and the idea was for them to move it around the crock pot and make it even in there and so what kind of pie filling did you use with apple I mean what kind of uh, cake mix did you use with apple we used the spice cake okay and then what you do is you take a, a stick of butter the original recipe just called for you putting the butter in there, mm-hmm. and in making it myself, I found that it's better if you cut it in packs and put it around. Okay. And I use real butter. Mm-hmm. I don't like using margarine for a whole lot of stuff because it's so close to plastic. And even and it, though the real butter has is you know it's it's got more saturated fat in it, um, there's a lot of issues with the hydrogenated oils too. So um, right. Yeah, and, as you said, margarine's the next thing to plastic. <laughs> right, and real butter is a lot harder than margarine. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's one reason why um, I like cutting it in pats is because margarine will melt faster. But I had each person, I, I cut the stick of butter in half um, with the wrapper on it, and they had to unwrap it and then cut it into pats of butter. Mm-hmm. And then they placed that, around the top of the cake mix okay so now we have we had the two cans of pie filling in the spread out evenly in the bottom of the crock pot right we put the cake mix uh, we spread that evenly over the top of the pie filling and then you put the pats of butter one stick of butter cut in pats around that and then what right um and then you just put the lid on we used um crock pots that have locking lids on them and so some of them have never seen a crock pot before, and um, I just think it's a lot better. I use a lot of the ones with the locking lids. Um, I like it. I have kids, um, especially if you can't see, you go by and you barely hit it, and everything goes everywhere. Those locking lids are wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually hit mine off the calendar, and it all stayed together, oh. and it stayed in the crock pot that way. You need so, to set things back further from the edge of the counter, Patty. Well, yes, um, I don't have a lot of kind of space in my house, so. Okay. But then after um, you cook this, you can cook it on high for two hours. Okay. Um, the apple works really great on two hours if you're pressed for time. It's better if you put it on low for four hours. Mm-hmm. And I have found that it's best that um, after about half the time you... Um, Take off the lid, unlock it, take off the lid, and just take a wooden spoon or a spatula and kind of mix it up a little bit. Okay. All right. So with the, with the apple, you used, a, you used apple pie filling and a spice cake, and then you also made a cherry. Yes. And, and so the cherry pie filling, what kind of cake mix did you put with that? 
I put a uh, butter golden uh, cake mix. It's okay. just, um, you know, you can get, I use Betty Crocker. It's usually on sale. Mm-hmm. So, um, and you will find a lot more coupons for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then, um, again, with the, the cherries, that's the one that has, it seems that the cherry, because of the cherries having so much juice inside the cherries, okay. that it's better if you use that one on a four-hour. Oh, okay. So the um, cherry, cherry kind of gets a little more done um, in, in the four hours. I had the cherry, and, and it was more um, gooey. Than, yes, it's yeah. gooey. Yeah. It's, it's better if you do it for on slow for four hours. You mm-hmm. can do it two hours. It's a little gooey. Mm-hmm. Um, some people like uh, gooey cake. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was a good dessert. And, um, but it still doesn't form up. And right. The idea of it is this actually makes a, a fruit filled cake and it is, it has the consistency of what a cake would be mm-hmm. after four hours. Oh, okay. Now see, um, mine didn't get there after, after two, no. but it, it was, it was sure good. And boy, is it rich. And, um, what was fun about it was after it cooked for the two hours, um, and we had dinner, and you had a wonderful pasta dish, boy, and the people out there listening, you just don't know what good a pasta, and it was a pasta dish and um, and garlic bread. It, it was delicious. So after that, here comes this cake that everybody had made, and the people who made it helped to serve it, helped to dish it out, and um, so it was a complete activity. It would be fun to see how that turned out after four hours. Some of some of the, the some of the people that made it were afraid of heat. Mm-hmm. I think a, a lot of times people who haven't right. cooked a lot, a lot of blind people, are kind of afraid of, of heat. Things that are warm, they're afraid they're going to burn themselves. And so you know, this is kind of a neat who, activity. I showed one who is really afraid of heat. Mm-hmm. And I knew that she was afraid of heat. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's okay to touch the crock pot because... Mm-hmm. It, it, it won't burn you. You're yes, not, it's, it's warm. Right. You're not going to burn but yourself. It, it's not going to burn you. Mm-hmm. And she was very afraid. And, you know, I, I put her hands, first of all, in a locking lid. The locks and the handles never get warm. Mm-hmm. They never get warm. But the the portion that it sits down in that heats it mm-hmm. does get warm. Right. And... She felt it, and I said, I promise it won't burn you. Mm-hmm. And so she reluctantly put her hands on it, but she she did. And she felt better about cooking with something like yeah. a crock pot. Yeah. And so when they went to dish it out, too, um, the glass is a tad bit warmer than, than the outside metal right. of a crock pot. Right, the crock inside, but right. it did not burn her. Mm-hmm. And they had to dip it out. Mm-hmm. Um and, and serve it to everybody, and they did. All three of them did. Yeah, and and they just did a great job. Well, Patty, we're going to run short on time. This this is really a fun a fun activity. We're going to do lots of different kinds of activities, and not a whole lot each week, but just some planned activity, basically driven by what people would like to do or what they say, oh, I'm having a hard time doing. Um, and so let's wrap up by you giving this recipe one more time. What do people need? Two cans of pie filling. Okay. One cake mix. Okay. 
and one stick of butter. Okay, and that would be a standard size cake mix. Not the Correct. one pan size, but the cake mix that makes um, two layers. A nine by 13. Yeah, or a nine by 13 pan or cupcakes. Yes. The standard cake mix, about 18 ounce cake mix, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and the pie filling is not, when you go to the store, you can get these huge cans of pie filling. Mm -hmm. um, and the bigger ones do not equal two. So oh. you want to make sure that you get two regular size um, cans of pie, pie fillings. Pie. I think they're somewhere between 18, 20 ounces. Mm -hmm. A pie filling, that's what you want to use. The okay. bigger ones are not double. Oh, okay. Think so you're going to yeah. take come it out. easy and maybe that one that's a little bit bigger is on sale and you might have a coupon for it. You still want to go for the smaller can. Okay, that's a good tip. Well, thank you much and we'll be compiling some of the recipes. We're going to follow up this with uh, adding the um, ranch um a snack mix that we made back before Christmas. Remember that? Yes. <laughs> that was fun. And then the also the ranch uh, master mix, salad dressing mix we made. So those recipes are coming up. Thank you so much. We appreciate you, you being on Soundprints. And now here are two more recipes that we've made at Roundabouts. The first was made on December 16 as part of our holiday activities, and it's a ranch snack mix. The recipe is from Taste of Home and it calls for one 12 ounce package of miniature pretzels, two 6 ounce packages of bugles, one 10 ounce can of salted cashews, one 6 ounce package of miniature cheddar cheese crackers or goldfish, one envelope of ranch dressing mix, and 3 fourths cup of granola oil. I'll include some variations in a minute. In two large bowls, combine pretzels, bugles, cashews, and crackers. Sprinkle with dressing mix. Toss gently to combine. Drizzle with oil and toss gently until well coated. Store in airtight containers. It makes six quarts. Now here are the variations that we used when we made this recipe. First of all, we did not add the canola oil. It really wasn't necessary and the mixture was good without it. We substituted pretzel chips for the miniature pretzels and we used unsalted nuts for the salted cashews. We added peanuts. We also used the cheddar cheese crackers and Cheez-Its as well as the goldfish. We mixed it all together. You can pretty much change it to include whatever you happen to like. Raisins, those were added in addition to the other ingredients. Instead of putting it in an airtight container, we put the mixture into Ziploc bags so that everyone could take some home for snacking. You could, if you wish, substitute oyster crackers for the cashews and Cheez-Its for the goldfish and you could use corn chips for bugles. On January 6th, the first roundabout after the new year, we worked on a little more healthy recipe by making a master ranch dressing or dip mix. This was a great dry mix to have on hand and you can quickly make it into a dressing or dip at a moment's notice. When ready to serve, combine the dry mix with the noted balance of ingredients listed in the recipes. 
You can easily double, triple, or even more uh, this recipe to make up a large batch. It's easier to make a lot at one time, so you only have to clean up once. It yields four and one-fourth teaspoons per recipe, and it will keep for a very long time. This recipe has no preservatives, so it's a little healthier than is the dry ranch mix that you buy in the envelope in the store. Here are the ingredients. One half teaspoon ground peppercorns, one and one half teaspoons dry parsley, one teaspoon of salt, and you can decrease that a little if you want, one half teaspoon garlic powder, one fourth teaspoon onion powder, and one fourth teaspoon dried thyme, one fourth teaspoon dried chives. You mix all ingredients together until well blended and store in an airtight bag or container. Be sure to put the date on it so you know when you made it. This will keep up to a year. To make a ranch dressing or dip from the mix, the professionals add two to three tablespoons or more of buttermilk in addition to the ingredients listed here, which gives the ranch its distinctive flavor. Some may even substitute all the creamy ingredients, such as mayonnaise or yogurt, with buttermilk. Play around with the ingredients and see what your taste buds like best. This will yield one and one-eighth cups of dressing or dip. To four and one-fourth teaspoons of the dry ranch master mix that we just made above, you will want to add four teaspoons of olive or canola oil, two teaspoons of apple cider vinegar, one cup of mayonnaise, or plain yogurt. You can mix all of these together and cover and let mature in the refrigerator for one hour. Store any unused mix in a jar or container, but be sure to label it with the name and the date. This will keep three weeks in the refrigerator. We'll be bringing you additional recipes as we have more cooking classes in our roundabouts. So be sure to listen to all the sound prints and make your own cookbook of interesting recipes that you think would be fun to make. Page 5. The Sound Prints Calendar. The February calendar includes the following. February 1 is the KCBPR Membership Committee meeting on the conference line at 8 p.m. The number is 605-475-6006 and the code is 294444. On February 2, the American Council of Blind Lions holds its monthly conference call meeting for lions across the country. Share ideas and ways to be involved in your local clubs. At 9 p.m., the number is 712-432-3900 and the code is 796096. On February 3, the GLCB roundabout is from 3.30 to 10 and will include the usual schedule at United Crescent Hill Ministries on State Street in Louisville. Call KCB at 502-895-4598 to register. On February 5, the Greater Louisville Council of Blind Committee meetings will take place 
Advocacy at 7 p.m. Eastern, Education and Technology at 8, and Activities at 9. The phone number is 605-475-6006, and the code is 294444. On February 7, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will hold its business meeting by conference call at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. The number is 605-475-6006, and the code is 294444. On February 9, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have its first vision support group from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries. Call 502-895-4598 for more information. Also on February 9, the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will have its monthly meeting at 7 p.m. by conference call. The number is 605-475-4700 and the code is 155619. For more information about the Northern Kentucky Council, contact Jerry Slusher at 859-781-7369. On February 10, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have its roundabout. Braille Technology and Genealogy from 3.30 to 5, discussion time at 5 o'clock, dinner at 6, bargain table at 6.45, and bingo and cards from 7 to 10 at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville, 502-895-4598 to register. On February 11, the American Printing House for the Blind invites you to crafting tactile valentines and gifts at 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Join Indiana artist Peggy Mastropolo and learn how to use unique tools and techniques to craft cards and gifts for your valentine from tactile materials at the American Printing House for the Blind on Frankfurt Avenue. This is free to the public, but space is limited. It's appropriate for children and adults ages 6 and up. Call 502-899-2213 for more information. On February 11, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have its board meeting at 11 a.m. by conference call 605-475-6006, intercode 294444. On February 12, KCB Next Generation, the chapter for everyone 40 and under, will have its conference call meeting for the month at 8 p.m. on the same conference line. 605-475-6006, intercode 294444. On February 12, ACB Families will have a business meeting at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. The conference call number is 712-432-3900 and the code is 796096. February 13 is the KSB Advisory Board meeting at 11.30 a.m., at the Kentucky School for the Blind. Contact KSB at 502-897-1583 for more information. On February 14, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, SAVVY, will have its monthly meeting from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue in Owensboro. For more information, call Rick Bogus at 270 270- Six eight four 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 one eight, or Bill Roberts at two seven zero four eight five eight one seven zero.
February 16 is the Kentucky Regional Braille Challenge, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This is regional competition at the Kentucky School for the Blind for students who are Braille readers throughout the state of Kentucky. Students competing on grade level have a chance to win a trip to the National Braille Challenge in Los Angeles, California in June. For more information, contact KSB at 502-897-1583. On February 17, GLCB will have its roundabout and quarterly meeting. Education, Technology, and Genealogy from 3.30 until 4.45. Bargain Table, 4.45. Speaker, Program, Dinner, and Business Meeting, 5.15 to 8.30. $5 per person, United Crescent Hill Ministries, Call KCB at 502-895-4598 to register. On February 19, KCB Next Generation invites everyone to a brunch at the North End Cafe on Frankfurt Avenue in Louisville from 12.30 to 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Call 502-750-1774 to sign up. On February 19, the KSB Alumni Association will hold its monthly board meeting at 8 p.m. by conference call 605-475-6006, code 294444. And on February 20, the Kentucky Council of the Blind will hold its board meeting at 7.30 p.m. by conference call on the same line, 605-475-6006, code 294444. February 22, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will have its peer support group meeting, 12 to 2 p.m. at the Bluegrass Council office, 1093 South Broadway in Lexington. For more information, call BCB at 859-259-1834. On February 24, Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have its last roundabout for the month, Education, Technology, and Genealogy from 3.30 to 5, Discussion at 5 o'clock, Dinner at 6, Games and Crafts from 7 to 10, at United Crescent Hill Ministries, 502-895-4598 to register. February 25 to 28 is the 2017 ACB Mid-Year Meeting and Legislative Seminar in Alexandria, Virginia. Call the ACB National Office at 202-467-5081 or 800-424-8666 for details. And on February 27, the Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana will have its next membership conference call at 7 p.m., 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind, or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. 
Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prince. Have a great week, everybody.